Wow. What a gift music is in our life. We thank our musicians and choir and uh, director of music and our organist emeritus for this wonderful gift today and for all of you singing with such joy. It is truly a blessing. In a play called The Boy with a Cart, the American playwright Christopher Fry puts these words into the mouth of one of the characters. What of us who has to catch up, always to catch up with the high-powered car or with the unbalanced budget, to cope with competition, to weather the sudden thunder of the uneasy frontier? We also loom with the earth over the waterways of space between our birth and our death. We may touch understanding as a moth brushes a window with its wing. To touch understanding is both the frustrating enigma and joyful promise of an Easter morning. We are such fragile creatures of longing and skeptical denial that our presence as Easter listeners is a testimony both to our fascination with the resurrection promise and our inner reticence and resistance to being taken in by a promise in part of our being we suspect may never be fulfilled. The issue this morning, as has been throughout our Lenten journey, is who is Jesus really? The message of Easter seems to be too good to be true when we think about it logically and amidst the conflicting truth claims of all the complex voices around us. In our identity search, we have explored Jesus as initiator and plant seeder, seed planter, judge and exposer, challenger and prophet, pointer and teacher, connector and healer, Messiah and king. And we remember how one day, while they were on the way, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And some, some said, John the baptizer, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And he looked them in the eye and he said, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Now, what if Peter had been a modern day theologian and scholar? The scene might have gone something like this Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the incarnation of eschatological hope, the theological consummation of the suffering servant motif. And Jesus replied, What? There's a part of us that wants to believe everything we've heard about Jesus. And yet there's another part of us, if we're really honest, that wonders if it can be true at all. What if things are, after all, as they so often seem to be, and there is at the heart of the universe only a great hole 
through which all the sacrifices, all the loving and loyalty, all the yearning of humanity pours age after age and is lost. What if, whatever we do, it all comes to the same thing and is for naught in the end? The deepest people I know neither ignore doubt nor are they immobilized by it. They explore it and they admit it. Commitment is strongest when it is not without doubt but is in spite of doubt. Out of history comes this true story from more than 150 years ago, a time before cremation and embalming, a time when life was relatively simple on farms and the countryside. And in 1865, in a small town in Wisconsin, five-year-old Max Hoffman came down with cholera. Three days later, the doctor pulled the sheets up over the little boy and pronounced him dead. Little Max was laid to rest in the village cemetery, and that night his mother awoke screaming. She had dreamt that her son was turning over in his coffin trying to escape. Trembling with fear, she begged her husband to go to the cemetery immediately and raise the coffin. But Mr. Hoffman did the best to that he could to calm his wife, assuring her that while her nightmare was indeed hideous, it was still just a dream, and he assuaged her to go back to bed, which she did. But the next night, Max's mother had the identical dream, and this time she would not be denied. And so reluctantly, Mr. Hoffman got his oldest boy up and a neighbor, and they went to the cemetery, and they exhumed the corpse. They dug up the coffin, they opened the lid, and incredibly, incredibly there was Max, lying on his side, though he had been put on his back. He showed no signs of life, but Mr. Hoffman carried him back, awoke the doctor, and the doctor did everything he could to see if the boy was still alive, and within an hour, he came to. Less than a week later, Max was out playing with all the other kids in his little village, his little town. He lived in Iowa into his 80s. The greatest memento he ever had in life was the two handles from his coffin. Friends, that story begins to get at the is so of it ain't so. Let's turn to our gospel lesson. You recall how it was the first day of the week when the women went to the tomb. The hole at the entrance of the tomb was empty, and Jesus' body was gone. Two figures startled them and asked, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Do you not remember he had told you that this would happen? And upon remembering, they dashed back to tell the disciples. And when they did, the apostles thought it to be an idle tale. An idle tale. Tale. And who wouldn't think it was an idle tale? They told those half-crazed women, it ain't so. It just ain't so. But the women were the bearers of the is-so of it ain't so. And hasn't that been the dilemma of decision down through the centuries? 
He is either Lord of the living and the dead, or he isn't. Yet to go back to our opening thought, between our birth and our death, we may touch understanding as a moth brushes a window with its wing. How is one to know for certain? I remember when I first started in ministry, and whenever we received new members into the church, we had a Polaroid camera. Some of you are old enough to remember Polaroid cameras, right? And um, we had a Polaroid camera at the church, and whenever we had new members, we would take everybody's picture. And I remember being so fascinated with how, you know, you just look at that, and what started out to be gray and nothingness, something would start to appear. And finally it became clearer and clearer. And what was there all along became absolutely clear uh, in the end. And could it be that sort of what happened with the disciples? That slow process? Slowly over a period of time, they learned more and more of who Jesus really was. They began to see more clearly for themselves. And as they were exposed to the light, slowly the truest image that ever was began to take focus. It was not until after the light of his resurrection that they could recognize him as Lord, as Lord. But before being it is so, it is it ain't so. It's so easy to see with, to, to just go through life with the tried and the true, the safe and the known. Logic and experience tell us that people don't rise from the dead. Jesus' enemies thought they had done him in for good. At first, the disciples thought it all to be an idle tale, sheer imagination, and they did not believe it. A minister friend of mine who lives up in Seattle by the name of Tony Robinson wrote this little piece called Resurrection is a Word I Like and I'd Like to Share It. Resurrection is a word I like. In the Sunday papers, there are pages of Easter Bunny specials, soft, sweet, and safe. Resurrection is not safe. On Sunday morning, they thought he was safe, safe, dead, and buried, over with, finished, done, finally. The one who put the question, the one who spoke the promise, the one who said, follow me, the one in whom the new creation came near, was dead and buried and safe, safely put away from the world. Bring on the bunnies, flowers, candy, sports spectacles, and other safe substitutes for life. Resurrection is a disturbing word which says we're never safe from God, from the new life, from all that is new, from love. A disturbing, hopeful word. Resurrection is a word I like. Resurrection newness is what Easter is all about. So beyond the bunnies and the baskets and special meals we will have today, Easter faces us with a decision. For as we explore and struggle with the question, who is Jesus really? The real issue is, how will we live our life in response to who he truly is? I want you to do one of two things. Either imagine two words, or if, it's, if you're more uh, visual and need to have something written down, take out a pencil and write these two words on your program or someplace. 
but write down the words to these two words, no resurrection. Or if you're visual, you can just imagine those two words in your mind's eye. No resurrection. And sometime today, either in your mind's eye or on a piece of paper, take out a pen or pencil and just scratch out one of those words. Because those two words cannot be held together. You're either going to scratch out the word no and just have resurrection, or you're going to scratch out the word resurrection and just have no. But that's a decision we have to make on this Easter Sunday. And once you do, you will have your answer to Easter. Our lives, efforts, and energies either go into a hole at the heart of the universe, and everything is for naught in the end, or our life's meaning and purpose come out of a hole, a tomb, all because Christ is Lord. So I want to close with a piece called Easter by Thomas Lane. When the shouts of hosannas are silent and the palms are dust on the road, when the leftover bread becomes stale and the wine sours in uselessness, when the bleak cross has become silent and the crowds have returned home, when the awesome tomb is found empty and the moving of the Spirit is felt, then Easter begins. When the heart affirms each morning and evening, Christ the Lord is risen today. The women went to the tomb and found it empty. They were told Jesus had risen. So they ran to share the good news with the disciples, but they thought it an idle tale and did not believe them. Oh, later they did, but not at first. And friends, I'm here to tell you, that's the is so of it ain't so. Easter, the Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Amen.